Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Sandra Pope is a solid member of the Atomo community. Not only is she an incredibly strong woman, she's a mother, a teacher, and an active member of our community. Sandra shares with us today her journey as a black woman in America. Raised in Ohio, Sandra and her elementary sweetheart, who later became her husband, moved to Ottumwa and created a life in small town Iowa. In this episode, Sandra shares stories of life growing up and moving to Iowa, and most importantly, the wisdom she gained from those experiences. Listen in to her amazing story of persistence, acceptance, and love. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. I am with Sandra Pope. Sandra, how are you? I'm great. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for being here. Sandra, just go ahead and start telling us a little bit about who you are right now and what you're doing. Well, my name is Sandra Pope, and I have, I'm a mother of four children, two boys, two girls, and a mother, a grandmother of four grandchildren, three boys and one granddaughter. With one more on the way here soon. I am a widow. I'm a teacher. I teach preschool. Been doing that for 23 years. It's been interesting growing with children. And basically that's what I've been doing. (laughs) (laughs) Since the beginning of time, right? It's just... Exactly. (laughs) I'm like just growing with children. (laughs) And it's my passion right now. And I know when I stop loving it, it's time for me to stop. Absolutely. Well, right now I'm still in love with it. And you're so good at it too. And Sandra was actually my daughter's preschool teacher. And I remember making certain that I had Mrs. Pope for my daughter at Cardinal. It was, I was, I was so overjoyed when I got, when I, I, I'm, I'm saying this selfishly, when Eloise got to have you for a teacher because you are just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> she was amazing. Well, thank you. I am a little biased that way too. I think so. But <laughs> I will tell you, she is an incredible reader now, Mrs. Pope. She's an incredible reader. She does all the great things. And I know that it started in your classroom. So thank you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're welcome. With, with your help. <laughs> well, thank you. Look at us. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So let's kind of move ahead and talk about some of the highlights of your life. What have been the best experiences that you've had? Ooh, um, hmm, that's a lot. It is. I mean, <laughs> the loaded question. <laughs> I've had a lot of amazing experiences. My my husband, who has since passed, we were childhood sweethearts. I was 12 and he was 13 when we fell in love. And um, four children out of it and four amazing children. And I have to say that about my own because, you know, everybody can't say that. But I have, I was truly... I've been truly blessed with four amazing children. Absolutely. Um, it's been just a ride that 
I wouldn't change anything. You know, if I could have my husband back, Lord knows I would want him back. But I have had such an amazing life, you know, with mm -hmm. learning to love, to give love and receive love. And I have had an amazing experience with preschool because a lot of those children that I've been teaching have since graduated and went on to college. And, and it's amazing to have those stories to tell because I run into some parents every now and then. They're like, well, yes, they're in college and they're going. So I am so blessed and so amazed that so many wonderful things are happening with those children. And I had one parent post something on Facebook and she sent it directly to me of her child and he's playing baseball. And she's, I'm like, oh my God, I remember him when he was a little bit in my preschool class. So it's just, <laughs> and I, you know, the experiences here, mm -hmm. I've had more experiences here in Iowa, probably that I would not have had if I had stayed in Ohio. Okay. Yeah. My experiences here have been across the board, more eye-opening, more the relationships that I've formed with people you know, across the board, not just uh, people, uh, Black people, uh, Latino people. I mean, people from different walks of mm -hmm. life, white people. It's just mm -hmm. been amazing. I have met some amazing people since I've been here in Iowa. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that. So let's talk about when you were growing up in Ohio. What did that look like for you? When we first, because we originally moved from Louisiana, I was two years old when my parents okay. moved uh, from Louisiana up north to Ohio. And my first experience there, as far as when we talk about people from different walks of life, we had, my parents decided to, to buy a home because our family was growing. It was like nine of us. I'm from a big family. At this time, when they decided to buy a home, mm -hmm. it was nine of us. They purchased a home in a predominantly white neighborhood. So as we moved in to the neighborhood, the neighborhood started changing. Well, the white families decided they didn't want to live in the same neighborhood as black people so they started moving away by the time i was in kindergarten the neighborhood was maybe two white families and the rest african americans on the on the block that i lived in and these were not little families these were big families but the school the elementary i went to was predominantly white um we had certain ways to walk to school from our homes I guess that was their way of keeping track of where everybody was. And at that time, I was the probably only a little black girl in my class, you know. And when we moved here, my children ended up experiencing the same thing. But it was something that I could share with them, that it wasn't all bad. It was just you had some families that raised their children differently. And they didn't raise, my mother taught us to love. My mother was a domestic housekeeper, so she took care of white children and cleaned their homes. And when they had special parties, my mother was that person there cooking for them. She taught us, 
you know, not to be racist, not to be, you know, to treat anybody any differently because they were different from us. So just going to school and having those experiences, it was very interesting, but coming to Iowa, you didn't have a lot of families in Ohio that were open to the changes that were happening, the changes that was starting to happen everywhere because when those houses became available as the whites moved out of the neighborhood, the property value, and I can't even explain this, why more of us moved into the neighborhood because, you know, then it was affordable. You know, my mother and father had a house payment of $200 a month. I'm like, oh, I wish I had that now. (laughs) (laughs) Those things just don't happen now, but it was, it was interesting. But my parents, we, they didn't teach us to be different. You know, they taught us to love. My, My mother took us to church and we went to Sunday school. We did all those things as a family. So when we moved here to Iowa, I couldn't see me raising my children any differently because yeah. they're taught to, to love. At the end of the day, we're all the same. We all bleed the same. We have the same organs in our body. I mean, if somebody needs a heart transplant and my heart is available, they're not going to know that, oh, I got a black heart in me or, oh, I have a white heart in me. You're not going to know that. You're just going to know that you're living. So at the end of the day, we just have to remember that. But didn't have a whole lot of negative experiences in Ohio because, like I said, I have a big family and I had seven brothers and nobody wanted to mess with the girls in the family. It was three three girls and seven boys and we were protected all the time. It wasn't nothing you know, detrimental that happened that I can remember. Physically. Yeah. But can you talk a little bit about, I mean, because, I mean, in a previous conversation I know we had, we talked a little bit about the way in which you were supposed to, in quotes, like you, like black children were supposed to walk to school this way. Mm -hmm. I think it's just crazy how people draw the line with their abuse. Okay. So like, I won't physically touch you, but I will verbally abuse you, you know? And I think a lot of that is just because of lies that they like white people tell themselves, maybe like, it's not that bad if I'm not, yes. I'm not like, yes. you know, physically hurting someone, but can you talk just a little bit about the way that you had to walk to school and if white children in that neighborhood had to walk the same way? You know what the, the white children in that neighborhood, that was their straight path to school, but it wasn't a straight path from where I live. So in the street that I live, I had to walk a block over and then the block that the school was on walk straight down that way. Instead of, I had a corner that was not far from me that was a straight path to the school too, but we could not walk that way. We had certain ways that we, we were able to walk. And I think that went on until I was like maybe in the third grade. So from kindergarten to the third grade, we had to walk to school a certain way. And that was all the black children that was in the neighborhood. I think they tried to to make it so it was everybody. Well, it was only a couple white families on my block, but one white family went to a Catholic school and the other ones, they had to walk the way that we walk 
just so I think that, that it wouldn't look so bad that that's how they had to walk to school. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I was curious. So like what would happen then if like, let's say that you did walk the way that you weren't supposed to walk, like what would happen to you and your siblings? You know, the thing about it is my parents were like, this is what we had to do. So none of us stepped outside of that boundary of what once our parents said, this is the way you have to go. We didn't try to go the other way. Sure. Okay. You were so respectful. <laughs> yeah. It, but it seemed like the years afterward, and we were able to walk the closer distance. I think it was number one, because we had our principal was a white woman and our, our assistant principal became a black man. So by the time I was in the fourth grade, it was okay to just walk that other way. And it was nothing said. And you know what? I really didn't think about that until just now that that changed after we got a Black assistant principal who later on became the principal of the school. So, yeah, my elementary school. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, you know, I'm thinking back on your mom and love how your mom talks about love, loving people, straight up loving them, like, period, treating everyone equally as whites. In America, we have this implicit bias, you know, like we sometimes aren't even aware that we're treating different races differently because we're so used to the injustice that it becomes like no big deal to us, at least, you know, because we're the ones that are condemning those who are not like us. Mm -hmm. This this lack of like cultural competence and appreciation for what each culture brings to the table. I think each culture is just such a valuable asset, but we as white Americans just can be so afraid of that. Like we have to feel supreme in some way subconscious or not it's an issue that needs to be addressed so i i just love how your mom taught love explicitly and therefore you love and taught your children to love explicitly too which i think is just no surprise to me because you are an incredible human being we just as a white culture need to catch up to that and i think too cammy that was a reason why i mean it's so easy for for my children because all my grandchildren are biracial okay but in all honesty, when people look at them, they're going to say, well, you are a black man and you are a a black woman. They're not going to see that they're biracial. You know, I want my grandchildren judged only from their character, not from the color of their skin, you know, and that's something that I pray (laughs) that it, it, it might not happen while I'm alive, but it's something that I want them to press forward, something I Mm -hmm. want them to to look forward to, okay, we are the people, we the people, you know, and people is, it's people, no matter what walk of life you came from. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So we talked a little bit about growing up in Ohio and as you, as your years progressed and you got to the fourth grade, the color of your skin may be, may have been a little bit more well-received. Um, your neighborhood had a, a principal who was black, who later became, who he was, he was, was it while you were there, he became principal or? Yes. Okay. So, so things were kind of changing, but mm-hmm. ever so slowly, we only change just by, you know, a millimeter here in America. Um, we just really want to hang on to that supremacy as much as we can. <laughs> so, um, 
which is so unfortunate. I just want to scream. So then let's talk about how you met your husband and then how you came to Iowa. Okay. <laughs> well, me and my husband actually went to same elementary. He went to the same school I went to because we grew up a block away from each other. So he grew up on the block. Well, you can walk through the alley to his house. It was that close. <laughs> so, and him and my brother actually. Did you guys sneak into each other's windows? <laughs> no. <laughs> or anything like that when you were in high school? Yeah, two floors. He couldn't create. He needed a ladder to get to my room. But anyway, <laughs> no, him and, my, him and my brother were best friends. And so as we grew and I was in, we were, right before we became freshmen, we started a date. And yeah. So met him then. We later on, years later, got married. We moved to Iowa because our neighborhood had started changing and changing by the way of it wasn't good. It was negative. It was, ne was negative changes. We had moved into a beautiful and started buying a home in a beautiful neighborhood. And one summer changed everything. We had a murderer who had come through Ohio and we had a vacant uh, apartment. Like here was our house and it was right across the street on a corner. When they came, when he came through Toledo, Ohio, he spent his first night in that vacant house. And the FBI, <laughs> this is a true story. FBI came, went door to door knocking on doors to make sure he wasn't in anyone's home because they found his car behind this vacant house. He went on and I think he, he started killing in Indiana and he came to Ohio and I think he ended up killing a couple people there, but they, they eventually caught him. But that was the first summer that I didn't see children outside. This was really crazy. It was this the summer that he came through town and did went on his murdering spree was the first summer that no children played outside, you know, and then you have a whole summer that you missed of new people moving into the neighborhood. So you never knew. So that then the following summer, gangs moved into the neighborhood where we had the, the Crips and the Bloods and had moved into the neighborhood. And I'm like, my kids still couldn't go outside to play. <laughs> so it was, you know, my husband was like, okay, we need to move. His sister was here in Iowa. So he decided to come here. My oldest was in the eighth grade. She was in the, well, in the seventh grade. And we decided to move here. He came here six months before me and the kids found us a home, uh, a church to go to. And he had a job and then after the kids finished that school year we moved here to Iowa in what was it oh I think it was 90 91 because um, my youngest daughter had her first birthday here in Iowa so and she just turned 30 so oh, cool yeah so we, we we came and I'll never forget it was June 2nd the owner of the house that we had moved into his wife had baked us fresh oh my goodness pastries and stuff was in the kitchen you could smell them as soon as you came through the door and it was a, it was very enlightening because so you felt welcome where yes. you may not have felt so welcome prior to yes yes i'm mean, very welcome the 
they were amazing people. And I mean, gave my son his first job and it was a good move for us. And we needed to get away from Ohio at that time. And after my husband passed, my family was asking me if I would move back. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I wouldn't go. I, ha- I love my family, but I love Iowa. This is my home. It's just so much negative things still happening in Ohio where I wouldn't like to go back and do that. And then, no, yank my children from what they know and my grandchildren from what they know. I just, I love where we are. Well, and you're so active in each of your grandchildren's lives and um, you do such a great job. And I mean, children are legitimately your passion and you're so, so good at it. So, I mean, I imagine being a grandchild of Sandra Poe (laughs) has to be the greatest experience of all time. Absolutely. Oh my Um, goodness. My youngest (laughs) grandson was just over here. He's like, nanny, because I brought him a, a, a necklace that had his initial on it. He's like, okay, I'm going to leave this here at your house. So when I come back, it's still here. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep it somewhere safe for you so you know you always have it. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness, Sandra. So you have... You moved here and you had a really positive experience with with the people here. And that's so heartwarming. So did you experience any sort of racism when you moved to Ottumwa or? Well, not exactly when I first got here. It was, I think it, it, but a tribute to it was the lifestyle that me and my husband had chose at that time. Because we would go, every now and then we would go downtown. It was a, a bar down there that we used to go and. We went during the daytime one time and some guys were playing shooting pool and we were up dancing to the music and I accidentally bumped into the guy uh, while he was shooting pool and said, excuse me. And we kept on dancing and the ac- I accidentally bumped into him again and that's when he called me the N-word. So it didn't go over very well because... I was with my husband and my brother-in-law was there and some other friends and everybody heard what came out of his mouth. Immediately he ran out and he was chased out, but he um, pressed charges on us. Well, and he was really rude, you know, so. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, it speaks kind of to the subconscious like passive racism that I think a lot of our white community has in that they may not actively think those things like, like say a black man and woman were to walk into a bar like you and your husband. I don't think necessarily they would think anything about it until they're made uncomfortable in some sort of way, Mm -mm. which is just completely asinine even to begin with, yeah. you know, but there's so much passive racism that I'm noticing. People are just ignorant to what mm-hmm. that even looks like. And, and I think with, you know, the George Flo- the murder of George Floyd, I don't know what it, I, I don't know. Do, can you, maybe, you know, what, do you know what it is that has kind of sparked this like awakening? I mean, because these things have been happening, like murders of Innocent black men and women have been happening for so long. Um, but the murder of George Floyd has really just yes. awakened 
everyone. And um, it's just been an incredible thing to watch. And I, I've seen lots of people just really, really passionate about this movement. And um, it's been really heartening to me to watch that. And I think it's so unfortunate that it's taken exactly the white community so long. Exactly. Because it has been happening for many, many years, where we once, like living in the South and, and where the KKK wore hoods and hide, hid their faces and stuff. Now they can hide behind a badge, suit, you know, but openly do what they do. We have those types of things happening in the world still today. But I think the George Floyd incident, because of the power of the internet and that it went viral. It didn't just go just in our country. It went to other countries and other countries were able to see. First of all, he was a bully in how he portrayed. It was no remorse on his face. It was no on the police officer's face. He, he just openly killed a man and it went viral. When I share with you, my first murder I watched on TV was President Kennedy. And I watched it on a black and white TV. And now this was something that went viral. It just didn't touch our country. It touched other countries. So I think this is awakening that needed to do what it did. It did. It needed to go where it went at the time it went. But they're still, they're still killing Black men and Black women. So it hasn't stopped. Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, can you kind of share a little bit about your experience with raising boys? You have two wonderful boys who are very handsome, who are very successful. What was it like raising two Black boys? in America. I mean, that had to have been just terrifying. Well, just making them aware, because I think the first key to raising young Black men today is that they are aware that it is happening. We're in an age of kids that think that they are, you know, like some of the video games that they play. (laughs) I think we're living in that kind of some, some children are living in that mindset, but I had to definitely, me and my husband had to teach them that everybody is not treated the same. And at the end of the day, this is who you are. Just making sure that they do the right things when they're away from home. That was just something that we preached to them all the time. You know, I used to put the fear of bejesus in them and I used to say, y'all just don't know. I have eyes everywhere when I could tell them some place that they didn't been in, like, how did you know that? I tell them I have eyes everywhere. So they never know if I'm going to be there or somebody that I know is there. (laughs) And they know they have a mama that's not scared to walk up on something. (laughs) So, but yeah, we did. We used to just have to make sure that they were educated. And I think that's the key, even to the day what I'm what I say to my grandsons, I, it's about the education of all of this and making sure that they do what they need to do. Well, and um, I've heard of some women teaching their young boys about like unwritten rules. Like, the, the, I mean, these are rules that you need to abide by. So like black men, like black mothers will tell their sons, you know, these are certain things that you need to 
remember when you're out in public. So like, did you ever have those unwritten rules that you talked with your sons about? You know, the thing about it, when we come to, when we moved to Iowa, you know, I knew dating for them here was going to be totally different than dating back in Ohio. So with just them being mindful and being respectful to women, period, no matter what, what the race is, but that they would be looked different, looked at differently. You know, my fear was like, okay, they are with, you can't help who your heart falls in love with. And I'm like, they're with white women and how that they would be looked. That was a concern of mine. How would that be looked at? But I haven't had any problems that way. You know, just because me and my husband, that was something that we taught them. Be gentlemen, no matter who it is. Be gentlemen. And it's hard to teach them that the white officers that may pull them over, because I have had, like, they haven't pulled over. You know, we call it driving while black, okay? So have having been pulled over before by an officer and making sure that you're not spouting off back at them. Give don't give them a reason, you know. Just those kinds of rules. Don't give them a reason. Because I would have hated for one of my sons to come home and have been or in jail somewhere and have been beaten up and brutally by an officer, you know for resisting for whatever reason. But that's that's what the fear is nowadays. You literally can walk out the door and not come back home the way that you walked out because of the color of your skin. You know, but my, my nephew said he watched cars go past him. He has 10 on his windows and this going past police officer up there and why they pull out behind him when you got somebody who had a tenant window two cars ahead of him didn't stop them because they were white mm-hmm. but end up pulling them over and th- these are things that happen in everyday america for black people it's just i think it's just the awareness and just keeping them safe and making them aware of what's happening in the world absolutely and i've seen so many infographics about racism and how we have had information that has been kind of like whitewashed um, to appease the minds of white Americans. So can you tell me just a little bit about how you have dealt with this consistent ignorance and like perpetuation of ignorance from white men and women? How have you dealt with that? One thing that I consider myself to be class and not the trash. So I (laughs) I love that. I love that. I just have to stop and tell you, I love that. The class, not the trash. You know, because I feel the trashy person will do things in a trashy way. But I can kill you with kindness. So at the end of the day, if you have not laid a hand on me and you think words are going to make me respond and react, I'm not going to respond and react to that. But if you lay hands on me, that's a different story. Because you lay hands, I'm going to lay hands. 
but your words, even though you can't put them back in your mouth, I I have to be the class and not the trash. So just remembering. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. We're going to tag that. Be the class, not the trash. I love that. That's so perfect. Yeah, absolutely. But it's so true. I mean, people rely way too heavily on their words and like that gives them some mm -hmm. power over people. And it's, yes. it's just not true. And it's just a some sort of lie that, you know, white men and women tell themselves to give themselves a higher leverage in their own brains. It's just, it's sickening. It goes back to how they were raised because a lot of them haven't learned that they need to break that. You know, they haven't learned that they can be their own shoulders and the strength can come from within them. But if you're standing on the shoulders of giants who have taught you that along the way, you're going to continue to stand on those shoulders. And then your shoulders are going to become the giant shoulders that your children and grandchildren stand on. But if you have been taught that all your life, if that what has been put into your mindset and that's all you know, you're, it's, you're never too old to learn. You can change. People... People can change what they do, how they do it, and when they do it, and what causes them to do it. You know, they can change that. Like I said, if it don't work, you can kick it to the curb and start your own. Well, and I remember you had said previously that, I mean, maybe not in this conversation, but I remember you talking about your husband when he moved to Iowa previously he had built relationships with people before, you know, you and your children had mm -hmm. moved. Okay. So yeah. he built these relationships. And I think that's what people are missing. Like people who perpetuate this ignorance and racism and like passive aggression toward different races haven't built relationships with people of different cultures or people of color to understand how rich the history is and how mm -hmm. there's so much that everyone has to offer. And especially, especially people of color. I mean, the adversity that people of color have had to face on the daily basis is earth shattering. And so for people, I, I, th I think that is just something that's so missing. It's just relationships. People just don't relationships with people different than they are. No, they don't. And, but if they're taught to stay away from a certain race, they're not going to want to form a relationship with anybody different. Anybody right. who don't look like them, anybody who don't talk like them. We have, as a people, once we really get it in ourselves, because I'm speaking of Black Americans, we have to get the mindset as well of how strong we can be as a people. Because with that, it comes, you have to bring that together. And when you talk about people of the negative, like the KKK or people who have been taught nothing but hate. You hate somebody because of the color of their skin. You hate somebody because they got a better car than you. You hate somebody because their family is love and yours isn't. You, we have, we living in a culture that until we learn that love needs to go across the board, it, it does. And that's the key. They have to learn to love one another where we are. Now, I'm not asking nobody to change who they are, but know that I can love you where you are. If you're not where you need to get, I can love you where you are until you get there. 
Oh, I love that. That's so powerful. I mean, even the, like the grace that you're granting people that don't even deserve it, Sandra, I think that's just incredible. Your, your heart is so, so open and that speaks volumes of your character. And I'm so glad that you're here sharing this and you're sharing your heart with everyone. Had you talked a little bit about the shoulders of giants that, that people choose to stand on. Can you talk a little bit about the shoulders that you stand on? Yes. I have my great-grandparents. My great-grandmother, she lived to be 108, and my great-grandfather lived to be 97. So I have them, their shoulders, just a strength, you know? And then my grandfather and my grandmother, I have my grandmother, we called her Madea, just, they grew their own gardens. They went outside. We had those pumps, the wells, we had those. Was, I've got one of those in my backyard. Oh my God, girl, it works. That was the best water. When I tell you we was down <laughs> south and we used to get those pumps and just put our face up under it. Oh my God, that was the best water. <laughs> so we, I stand on the shoulders of my grandparents. I have uncles and aunts. My uncle fought in the war. He fought in a country that, you know, with the Nazis and he lost a leg. But he had to come back to a country that he had no freedom. I stand on all his shoulders. He had no freedoms. He, I mean, he lived in the South where it was still whites only bathrooms and places you can eat and places you can go. But he fought in a war for this country and came back to that. So we have, I stand on those shoulders. It's just amazing when I can look back at the history and my parents and my, my mother and my father who taught us as a family, we needed to stick together no matter what. I stand on those shoulders. I stand on the shoulders of Dr. Martin Luther King because even though he didn't live to see his dream, I look at it some days when I'm in a classroom teaching all white children, I see his dream. I stand on his shoulders. Oh my goodness, when I was elected as the delegate for President Barack Obama, went to the convention and I was in Denver and seeing things for the first time from that level, I stand on those shoulders. So I stand on the shoulders of giants so that my shoulders can be the shoulders of giants that my children and my grandchildren stand on. So I have to be steady in my stand and in my walk and what I do, because what my reflection is what they see. And if my reflection is negative, that's what they would take. They would take a piece of that negativity and they would run with that. But I can't afford to do that. Not at this age. I have to be the giant to my family that they stand on. Ah, that's making me a little overclamped. Okay. That's so beautiful. That's just so beautiful. And your heart is so beautiful. And you have literally only shown love and you have been dealt hate. I mean, you've been dealt love too, but like you said, the shoulder, like the shoulders of the people that you stand on have been dealt hate and discrimination yes. and adversity and 
just yes. evil. Yes. And so I just think your heart is so beautiful and I'm so glad that you are sharing your story. You. Absolutely. So, okay. I have a couple questions left. So one of my last questions would be what your best advice would be to someone who is experiencing adversity in this regard, uh, racism, prejudice, some sort of adversity in this, in this way. When people experience negativity, the adversities, the, the racism, the things that people of color see every day is that we have to become bigger than that. Because if we allow that to affect our hearts, then we can spew out the same negativity. I would say to anybody that's going through anything like that, don't let it affect your heart. Because if it does, you will spew out the same negativity that they're trying to throw at you. Be bigger than them. Absolutely. We have to be bigger. We have to stand on the shoulders of giants. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So then how, what, what is the best or most supportive way that white men and women can stand with the black community today? I have friends and I think when things had first started happening, um, right after Mr. Floyd was killed, one of my neighbors, I love her to death. I call her one of my Obama mamas. She brought a plant, flowers, down to my house, set them on my steps. She sat out in my driveway and called me and said, listen, I was just thinking about you and I brought you some flowers. And that to me just, it wasn't nothing big. It was just, she brought flowers to me. And I know she was thinking about me. I know she's genuine. She always brings stuff, leaves it on my porch, and don't call me. I left this outside for you. But I have a circle of people like that that I met since I've been here in Iowa. And I know love me, you know, not for the color of my skin, but the character of my heart. So I have those kind of people that are in my circle. And, you know, I just, and I love them to death. I love them the same way that they love me. And we have no problem sharing or calling, you know, and just getting together and sitting around a bonfire drinking wine. <laughs> we'll do that sometime too. Yeah. Yeah. And just creating those relationships again. And just, there's so much that we miss as a culture and as a people that we just, we miss we miss the mark so much. And this is just a, a wonderful, wonderful message to anyone who is listening. And I just want to thank you so much, Sandra, for sharing this. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. It's just been such an incredible, incredible conversation. I'm so glad that you shared with us. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to share my story. What a wonderful time. I'm so, I can't wait for Eloise, like when she's old enough to comprehend all this, I can't wait for her to hear it because she still misses her Mrs. Pope. So. Oh my goodness. Uh, I just might have to just drive by just because. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for being here. You guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the V podcast. Please make certain that you tune in next time for the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. 
screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.